season's greetings, everyone, uh, that time of the year. Um, I'm Lori Timoney, and I'm with Go City, and also a one of the hosts of the Experience This Travel show. And we are, believe it or not, uh, on season two, um, episode one, show number 31. So uh, we're very proud of getting to this point, and we're really looking forward to what lies ahead in 2024. Uh, Bruce, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Lori. Hey, uh, this is Bruce Rosard. I'm one of the co-founders of Arrival. And uh, amazing that we started this over a year ago, this experience, this uh, experiment, and uh, really happy to be here uh, at the show and really excited to have Catherine Werlow with us from The Plot uh, for the show where we're really going to dig into talking about branding uh, in the experiences sector. Catherine, tell us about yourself. Hey, thank you, Bruce. Um, thank you both for having me. So, yes, I am... The co-founder, well, not the co-founder, the only founder of The Plot, um, which is my brand new marketing and brand strategy business. So I help attractions, OTAs, experiences, tours to figure out why their strategy, their brand strategy isn't quite connecting up with their commercial goals and figuring out where those missing links are along the way and injecting some new perspective and new enthusiasm and, and fresh thinking to help them be the brand they deserve to be, I guess. So it's very early days, but I'm enjoying working with some of the, um, the best and the biggest across the industry and it's great to be here. That sounds super exciting. And so congratulations for, for your new venture. Thank um, you. So I, you know, we've talked for a while about covering this topic. I think it's such an important topic for this space. Um, we have a lot of providers in this space that might be considered not so large companies. You talk about branding and we think of, you know, Expedia's and TripAdvisor's yep. and Hilton's and so forth. Catherine, can you just kind of set the stage and maybe just tell us how you think about brands specifically? Yeah. So your brand, 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 what does that mean to you? Um, it's a good question. It's a big question, but I think it boils down to one quite simple thing. Brand is about what your customer would say to a potential customer about you. Um, and in one form or another, that will be a simple equation, which is they do this thing for that person to solve this problem. That That's what brand is. Um, and lots of different people will look at that in lots of different ways and, and different segments of what makes up a brand will be important to different businesses. But it ultimately comes down to what you do and what you sell and what you provide who you provide it for who who is the buyer of your service and what problem that service solves and part of the commercial element of a brand strategy is figuring out how you join up the dots between that target market and understanding if that market is the right market what tone of voice you use with that market to engage them and how you talk about your product or service in a way that relates to the the problem in their life that you are solving. So if that's for um, a company that offers walking tours, for example, and their audience are Gen Z, so they are a younger end of the market who are 
traveling because they now have disposable income and they they are prioritizing things like weekend breaks or visits to see friends who live in other cities then you have to understand the problem you solve for that traveler and that the problem you solve for that traveler will be different to a slightly older traveler of my age who has maybe been to a fair few different cities before and is a more confident traveler um so that's what brand is for me it's really understanding what you do who for and the problem you solve and so I think that's, sorry go ahead Ruth. yeah i have a question about that i think it's really brilliant but simplified so let's use the walking tour example that you started um so back to your you know what do you do we provide walking tours who do you do it for? Well, we're, our segment is Gen Z, but a walking tour company really needs to have the different segments, whether it's Gen Z, millennials, boom, boomers, whatever. So how do you work with a walking tour company that has these different segments so that yeah. you know the problem they're solving is different, right? Yeah. Um, so what, walk through, if I was a walking tour client coming to you that has multiple segments, what you would do? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. And I think the answer is that most businesses, the majority will have a core audience. So say, for example, for the walking tour company it is majority 18 to 25 year olds. I think what you have to then figure out within that brand strategy is how you solve that problem and how you talk to that person in a way that doesn't alienate the 35 to 44 year old bracket, for example, if that's your secondary audience, or the maybe your secondary audience is a business traveler who is very time pushed and just wants to see a little bit of a city um, in the easiest possible way as part of a business trip when they've got two and a half hours available before they get their flight home. Um, I think in today's day and age where social media is the primary way we speak to our customer, you can't swap hats or swap tone of voice for each of your audience segments. I think you have to focus wholeheartedly on that core, on that primary customer in a way that is relatable and memorable enough for people to engage and spread word of mouth, but not so crazily unique that you suddenly alienate those other peripheral markets and customers that you want to pick up. And the other thing I'd add to that is there are customers who will buy from you because you're the first and easiest choice who will never engage with you apart from putting their credit card details in at the checkout. And that's brilliant. They're the, they're the easy, reliable customers that you don't have to pay to get in front of. You don't have to pay to, through your marketing strategy. Um, and you will always pick that might make up five, 10 percent of your business. But the people that you need to engage with your brand who will share your content, who will take pictures on that walking tour, put them on Instagram and tag you in. They're the people that you, your tone of voice has to reach. So I think it's it's not only understanding what your core market is and your most profitable and biggest market. It's also understanding which market will become your brand advocates. Hey, it's Merica from the Von Mac Agency here with your tourism marketing half minute. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the fallacy that tourism is recession proof. Yep, that's definitely not true. So in today's economy, it might be a good time to start thinking about scarcity marketing. 
This is a technique that focuses on creating a sense of urgency and excitement all around your product. And studies have shown that customers are 30% more likely to purchase something when they believe it'll sell out. So try offering limited time packages, exclusive discounts, or even something VIP, but make sure to A-B test your results. So Catherine, so, um, you know, one of the, I'm quite sure that a lot of companies, they start up or even, you know, they're in the middle of it right now, for however long they've been in business, where all they're really thinking about is just getting business, right? They're yeah. just thinking about, okay, I'm going to do, you know, direct marketing. I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to, you know, yeah. get on Instagram. So would you say that, or would you suggest that really the first thing that you really need to be doing before you start looking at how you market is to consider your brand? Is that something, or, you know, would you say that it's kind of a work in progress and it sort of develops as you move through? Or is that something you recommend businesses look at right out of the gate before they start even thinking about how they're going to market? Yeah, I think it's both. I think you have to have those basic foundations in place. Otherwise, what happens is exactly what you've just described, that you go into panic mode and you start throwing content out there that you hope might appeal. There's no consistency. You haven't stopped to think about what works best on different channels. You've just plastered the same marketing content across every channel you possibly can. You've sent out half-hearted emails to customers, discounting your product in case that works. Now, a, a, propos a brand proposition will evolve. It, it will constantly move and evolve and grow with your business because we can't really predict what will happen in the market. We can't predict COVID. We can't predict um, currency crashes, that kind of thing. Yes, we have a certain amount of information about what the next year ahead might look like. But as we all well know from the past three or four years, a lot of us have had to totally pivot on our vision um, and our goals. So I think you have to have a, a clear vision in place before you do anything. I think you have to have a really clear tactical plan in place. And I think you have to have really clear goals of how you're going to measure against those tactics. It's absolutely fine that they change and some things will work and some things won't. However, if you don't know what you're trying to say in order to convert a customer then you will never, ever create cut through, especially in such a competitive market as, as travel and experience. Um, it is, I think it's incredible and overwhelming to most businesses how many times you need to say the same thing in different ways through your brand strategy to start um, getting people to remember you and engage with you. Um, and I, I, I feel really strongly that if you don't have that framework in place, it's so difficult to succeed. And the, the brands you see in our sector who are popping up with new news every couple of weeks, we're now doing this, we've required that, we're now launching this type of platform, we're adding on this to our business. A lot of the time, there's no strategy behind that. And, and that's why they kind of keep adding bits on randomly rather than having this really strong foundation, which is able to hold up things as the business grows. So what would you do if you're experienced this travel show? Um, you know, we're we're obviously uh, relatively new. We're only a yeah. year old, 
maybe Bruce, as you said, um, and we want to improve our brand. How do we go about doing that? What are some of the things we can work on? Yeah. Let, let me, before you answer that, so important question. So we're going to get some free consulting here, Laurie, um, which is awesome. <laughs> but what I was going to say is we're, you know, experience this is a B2B. And yeah. almost everyone listening to experience this are B2B. And a lot of what you've already talked about is B2C branding, right? Yeah. I mean, you threw in a little B2B right at the end there. Um, but really, when you think branding, you're typically thinking B2C. Let's flip this discussion now over where let's talk B2B again, because that's yeah. who would be listening. That's what experience this is as our challenge to you to say, okay, give us some thoughts. Because I will tell you, you you know, we're, you said you need a clear vision. Yeah. Or I think if, if Catherine was our brand consultant, she would have to ask us and we would have to tell her what our vision is and um, what's our goals and objectives and what are our tactics, right? Um, so now I'll go ahead and answer and, and provide us with that free consulting, Catherine. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> Yeah. It's, a, it's a great challenge. And I think um, it's interesting because exactly the same principles apply, whether it's B2B or B2C. So in a B2B avenue, um, the brand is the ticketing tech provider and the customer is the OTA, for example, or the attraction. Or or the operator, right? A ticketing yeah. tech or res tech. Yeah, the exactly. B2B so and their client is the tour operator. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the the same principle applies. That that business still has to be able to say we do this thing for this audience to solve this problem. So, for example, at an arrival event where you've got um, all of your exhibitors with their stands in in the hall, um, the ones that will succeed in that type of environment will be the ones that can say, "Oh, hi, what do you do? Tell me about your business." Oh, that's really interesting because we do this thing for people like you to solve that exact problem that you have. And as Laurie rightly said, it will vary from business to business, but the premise will always be the same and the vision will remain the same. So to answer your question about um, the podcast and, and this show and that kind of thing, I think the first thing I would say is, do you guys know the hero, hero villain guide methodology? No. So this is what... This is one of my favorite brand storytelling um, exercises. So it's really simple. It's a fairy tale scenario. And in this scenario, you guys as the hosts, you're always the guide. You're not the hero. So you're, the, you're facilitating the conversation. So everything you're doing, everything you're sharing is all about the hero. And the hero is your viewer. The villain is everything else that takes the attention away of your viewer from your show. So putting that bluntly, that might be shows that are better. It might be shows that go out at exactly the same time as yours. It might be shows that cover similar topics. It might be something different. It might be articles that people enjoy reading on LinkedIn. It might be industry magazines. It might be events themselves. It's, it's how your hero is dividing up their time to invest in their business and their learning. So what I would say specifically for this show is that to make your picks, they want you to facilitate. Start by introducing their needs and the topics you're going to talk about 
rather than introducing yourself first because you're facilitating, you're the guide, you're not the hero. And make sure that this feels like a two-way conversation between you guys and the audience, even though it's the three of us talking. So make people feel like they are a participant. And that might be that you crowdsource questions ahead of a show. It might be that you put sound bites of the show out individually afterwards, as well as the main show for to start two-way conversations on LinkedIn or on your own profiles. Um, and make it feel like a community. Make people feel like they say they are a part of Experience This rather than, oh, I watched an episode of... So that would be the thoughts off the top of my head. Um, and I think using the hero villain guide methodology really helps to make sense of, of how to do that. Yeah, I love the yeah, crowdsourcing crowd idea. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked yeah. about different things that would involve the audience and uh, and we've talked about going live. What do you think about that? Going live on LinkedIn in rather than recording and sending it out afterwards? Mm -hmm. I, so my honest opinion is based on my very limited experience of having tried it for myself. And I found it incredibly stressful because I, it, the tech I don't think is quite where it needs to be for you to be able to present and talk and have a live panel discussion as well as engage with your audience simultaneously. It's a bit frantic. So I, I think you can create just as an exciting dynamic without it having to be live. I think the only advantage of live is that people get a push notification saying happening now. I think that's great. But I don't know about you guys. I'm never, even if I say, yes, I'm going to an event on LinkedIn, they pop up and I've forgotten about it by then and I'm busy. Right. So if you, you can create an in, engaging two-way dynamic around the content and people can digest it at a time that works for them, especially because you're global and time zones are very difficult to work in everyone's favour, I would stick to pre-recording, not because it allows you to edit out the bits that you don't want in there, but because it allows you to repurpose that content in lots more different useful ways. Yeah, thanks. Well, I would well, push back a little bit on that. Um, and, and it is something we talk about a lot. And again, we're not well-resourced, right? Because we all have real jobs. Um, but if it wasn't, <laughs> if this was our thing, um, think about LinkedIn Live or another platform. But I think for our audience, LinkedIn Live is mm -hmm. the ability to have you know the, the three of us and let's say only 20 people join but those 20 people can actually participate. So someone can raise their hand and we could say, oh, Catherine, you would have a question, bring you into the discussion live, yeah. which yeah. we can't do if we're recording. It's almost yeah. like I always say the clubhouse effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, clubhouse was really popular for, I don't know, a month or maybe a year. Um, mm -hmm. And our partner Christian spent a lot of time building mm -hmm. clubhouse communities on specific topics, always related around travel. And he, yeah. he could at sometimes have a hundred or more people who yeah. were in the, kind of the audience. And then there were five of them and he designated, pre-designated as experts. And we could do something like that. So stand by to yeah. raise your hand and participate. Um, and it would be a whole different kind of thing. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? As far as, again, we're all, we're, this is a session about branding, not how to build a podcast. Um, from building a brand, would mm -hmm. that 
change your perception of the brand or would you say, no, keep, keep recording and do what you're doing, but maybe make our LinkedIn page more active because it's not today uh, and have the conversations there? Yeah, I think they're two entirely different things that serve very different purposes. So the podcast is a way of bringing together interesting people who have interesting opinions and perspectives and knowledge to share. So the reason I would watch as a viewer would be because I'm interested in their expertise or interested in the type of business they work for or the part of the industry they work for. And I would enjoy listening in on that conversation. Whereas what you're describing where you're live and you maybe have 20 people on that call who can engage in real time and they can ask questions and they can participate is much more about giving away knowledge for free. It's mentoring. It's it's a workshop. It's a totally different format and serves a very different purpose to the audience. They are looking to sit there with their notepad and pen and write down things that they can go and action in their business today. Whereas this discussion format is is just raising the bar for the industry. It's it's about um, us, us, us fostering the community element we have across the sector and keeping talking. So I'd say it's a different dynamic. And I think both things are brilliant, but for very different reasons. And I would say, if that's something you would want to explore, I would put maybe put it under the same banner, but make sure your audience is clear on what what this is for for who for what gain versus what that more workshop style format would be for and for what gain and i suppose we could always just run a test as well you know we'll give yeah. it a shot or a shot rather and then see see what happens I, yeah. I would like to move off of this um and and kind of move on to performance marketing so you know, there's conversation brand versus performance marketing. Um, and I, I do recognize that for really, I think it applies to all experience providers because they have to consider, um, obviously, the smaller operators, there's a lot of things they're going to be doing in their day to day that's just going to be elevating their brand. But as mm -hmm. you move into companies that might be a little bit bigger, there's some real decisions that need to be made in terms of where you're going to put your money. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, spending your money on brand versus performance marketing. Um, what does that really mean to the business? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how the other thing I'd love to maybe have you incorporate as part of that uh, response is how do I measure brand marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can maybe just touch on performance marketing versus brand and then how to measure it, I think that would be really helpful yeah. to people. That's a really difficult question. <laughs> um, and it, again, without this sounding like I'm trying to dodge the question, it will vary for from business to business. However, in a large enough kind of travel business that for, for the sake of this example is a, a B2C business, I would say that you split your budget, your paid budget between your evergreen kind of always on social media budget and whether that's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or if you're B2B elsewhere, it will depend on the product you're selling to the customer. But you have this level of paid activity 
digital activity running all the time and it will change seasonally if you participate in Black Friday you will have sales messages going around discounts that kind of thing if your travel business is very seasonal and most of your business is done in the summer you will have summer offers running up to the peak season and I think in terms of performance marketing that has to be a constant it has to be part of that 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 tactical plan it has to be always on and I wouldn't ever make that the majority of your budget it's just one part. It might be 25% of your budget, for example. I, I just want to, because this is really important where you're going here. You first said the evergreen social and paid paid social. Yeah. And that might be more tactical, the summer specials, et cetera, et cetera. Then you said the performance marketing. But isn't that, how is the performance marketing different than the first category? So that's all that I'm talking about. All of that is the same thing. So your paid social is your performance marketing channel because that is your direct response. Okay, so if they were together, there were two different points within paid marketing that you said you need to always maintain and allocate a certain percentage of the budget. Yeah, so that's the first one. So that's point one. Point two, I would invest heavily in your brand marketing, which is your PR, your organic content, your blog strategy, your out-of-home stuff, um, which is, tends to be much more reactive because it is based on what is relevant and current to your audience right now. Um, I call that situational relevance. So the situation demands that you you adjust your tone of voice or your attention to what is important and relevant to your customer right now. And that might be that um, it's much colder in the destination that you're marketing than normal, which means it's even better than ever to go skiing there. Um, so you turn your attention to what's situationally relevant at that moment. And from my personal perspective, and lots of people would disagree with me, I would say that should be 50% of your budget. And that terrifies a lot of people because, as Laurie said, how on earth do you measure it? And you may not be able to measure individual reactive um, tactics. However, you should be measuring all of the time customer sentiment, website traffic and where that traffic's coming from, conversion rates from organic activity, um, trends in customer feedback, all of those things. So if you are managing your data properly and you have those measures in place, you will be able to see through the year or through the seasons, depending on the type of business, if having PR as part of your strategy or if having content marketing as part of your strategy is working now there's a really blurred line in the middle of those two things brand and performance marketing because you get content which content which is on your brand strategy which is really quite measurable when it comes to your strategic and technical seo for example and the two kind of meet in the middle and it means that you can have a really salient message through your paid performance marketing right through to your brand, which makes it a hell of a lot easier to run those two things differently, but simultaneously. So we know full well that for a content strategy to succeed, it ha you have to have some SEO knowledge in there. You have to know what type of keywords you're going after. You have to know what type of content is ranking. You have to kind of know what's gonna push you up the page on Google. Um, 
But that content might also be a massive part of your PR strategy. So you're answering two needs there. Um, and that's when you start really winning, when your brand and your performance marketing efforts are wholly aligned and benefiting each other. So, Catherine, I think that, um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about why it's important to consider brand and how to look at that in relation to performance marketing. You mentioned a few key points in regards to measuring whether or not your brand marketing is you know, is, is successful, so to speak, I guess it's successful if you're now converting higher and you're driving more people to your website and so forth. Um, so from the standpoint of some of the smaller businesses that might be listening, because of course the bigger ones are going to have a lot of help likely in understanding, mm -hmm. you know, how to look at brand marketing, whereas the smaller ones are probably still trying to figure out how to do that. Can you yeah. maybe give us like the top three to five takeaways for a smaller business that is, you know, either they they're just starting out or they're in the middle of it and they really need to be considering brand. What do they need to be looking at? Is that, you know, what can they do? Social media reviews, testimony. Mm -hmm. What are some of the key th three things, let's say, yeah. that they need to be looking at right now? So should we look at this from a B2B context then? Because yeah. that's the main audience. So let's talk about very small B2B businesses in the travel and experiences sector or potentially people like me who are just starting out on their own and building up the brand for their business. So I would say first thing would be consistency. So whatever you're doing, do it regularly, do it consistently, even if it feels uncomfortable. And you might not know exactly how or where to talk to your B2B audience, but just stick at it. It's not a wasted effort. It's a wasted effort if you're not measuring it. But if you're looking at the type of conversations you're starting with people and which ones they respond to or which ones people then pass on to another person, track that. So a lot of the time, and you guys will find the same too. People will say, oh, I mentioned your name to so-and-so because that thing you said was really interesting. And you'll get two or three people do the same thing about that one same topic. So make a note of that. What was it that you, you said that people keep coming back to you about and create more content around those themes? So it goes back to what I was saying before about situational relevance. You've got to be front of mind all of the time when people are trying to solve a problem that's how small businesses win business because like you said Laurie they don't have the huge budgets and the infrastructure and the marketing teams to run big campaigns to attract new business but they do have incredible knowledge incredible expertise um, are generally in this sector really nice people and have a great network and a great um, supportive b2b community around them so i think that that's the first thing is to keep talking consistently okay. um the second thing i would say is understand how you're different in a good way and be confident in getting that across to people because the old cliche remains true and will always be true that people buy from people. You might not necessarily have all of the answers. You might not be the cheapest. You don't really want to be the cheapest and you might not be the best. And that's fine. People aren't looking for the perfect answer. They're looking for an answer that they are in, going to enjoy solving with you. 
Um, so consistency, understanding your personal brand. And third and final one would be being willing to do something you've never done before. Um, and Bruce will probably laugh at this because the example I would give was when myself and my um, previous colleague first came to an arrival event, we accosted um, <laughs> we accosted Douglas, I think, within an hour of being there because instantly we were like, this is amazing. How did we not know about this before? This is exactly where we want to be in the industry. And we, so we bowled over to Douglas and said, please, can we speak at the next arrival event? And he said, guys, I've literally just met you five minutes ago. I really appreciate your enthusiasm and great that you're having such a good time at arrival. Let's keep in touch and you can convince me that you deserve to speak at the next arrival. And that was the start of what I would say is a beautiful relationship between myself and arrival. And it's it's been an incredible 18 months. Um, Don't be afraid to take chances no, and go after I, something new. Exactly. Well, let me, I, I want to add one more thing to that. And then I know Lori needs to kind of get things wrapped up here. Um, you follow that up. Catherine, with an article that you sent us as, or maybe you just published it. I don't remember about your perspective of your first arrival. And yeah. it was, as you all like to say in the UK, very cheeky um, yeah. the way you wrote that up, right? Um, a word that I've come to know and learn and love. Um, it was a really cheeky update about your experience at arrival. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, I loved it because it was not a typical write-up of what it's like to come to arrival it was it was really interesting and, and really put you guys on our map basically and we we worked really hard to earn your trust so we we live shared all of the talks at arrival so we each went to different ones so we could go to as many as we could and throughout the sessions we published live on linkedin the things we were learning and the key takeaways we were taking from those sessions well, when we got back we did our own write-up and then after that, we did a video pitch and sent it to you guys and said, hey, we're back in the UK. This is why we would we think you would like us to speak at the next arrival. So we worked so hard that's, for that opportunity. And it was worth it. That's a great story. So we've got to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. I think it was a great conversation <laughs> and definitely helpful for sure um, to all kinds of businesses. So um, uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining and uh, have a wonderful end of the year to everybody. And we'll see you in 2024. Thanks everyone. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, Catherine, for joining us. Lori, thanks for the first year. Good luck in your new role. Uh, or I shouldn't say good luck because there's nothing luck about it. You're going to kill it. But uh, new old roles. <laughs> new old role, exactly. And uh, we'll see you all on the other side. So thank you so much. Thank you both.